In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priests before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and until or, and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. Build the church. That's um, the summary of the vision, that simple phrase that we uh, shared last week. And as I said, we're in the middle of our annual vision series, and we're revisiting our guiding biblical principles. And as I've already said, this vision is nothing new. We take our marching orders from Jesus. This is this year's overarching ministry theme, ministry vision, build the church. And so last week, we revisited the fountainhead, where this is all supposed to start, the, the source and spring of wanting to build the church in the first place. And so it all starts from Jesus, the person himself. And so our vision here, we communicated as be glad, be long, be a blessing. And so specifically, be glad and build the church with certainty of Christ. If you missed last week's message, we encourage you to catch up. Luke, the author of this gospel, was a doctor, and he gives us certainty to have confidence in Christ. And from there, because we're certain of Jesus, that we're happy to 
live out the vision that God calls us to. Today, as a next step, we want to belong and build the church inside and out. As we do life in the church together, that we build up one another inside the church, but understanding, I love this expression, this description of the church, that the church really is the one organization that exists for its non-members just as much as for its members. Because we want to see more and more people see Jesus for who he truly is and delight to follow him. I don't know about you, but when I look back on my life, I've generally struggled with a sense of belonging. Uh, I've struggled with fitting in from childhood to youth to even adulthood sometimes. And in hindsight, which is always 2020, I can see that for me, the major layer of that struggle with belonging was just my natural introversion, being shy, and, and I didn't realize introversion was even a natural temperament thing until my mid-20s. And I was just expected by my family or friends, whoever, to be outgoing, friendly, warm. Within my own family, I generally felt I always lived in my sister's shadow. My sister's listening. <laughs> and alongside a personal struggle with a sense of trying to please and earn my dad's love. Growing up as a second-generation Korean-Canadian in an immigrant family, I have to say that I certainly uh, experienced my share of racism uh, towards me and class struggle. And even within the church, growing up within the church, there were struggles with wanting to be noticed by that mentor, by that older brother, and being overlooked by leaders that perhaps you just wanted the attention of. And this is just scratching the surface, at least for me. I haven't talked about the teams I tried out for, the social inner circles, job applications, and so forth. How about you? What has your general journey of belonging been like in life? One of C.S. Lewis's most memorable essays is actually about belonging, it's called the inner ring, and he symbolizes our desire for belonging with the idea of this inner ring, this inner circle. And one thought that, from that essay that summarizes it really well, I believe that in all men's lives at certain periods, and in many men's lives at all periods between infancy and extreme old age, one of the most dominant elements is the desire to be inside the local inner ring and the terror of being left outside. One blogger who's reflecting on Lewis's essay explains to feel excluded or out of it is a miserable feeling. Yet the desire to be in can make you say and do things you would not otherwise or not say and not do things that you should. The desire to be on the inside of whatever group you aspire to can even affect your work, your political affiliations, your relationships in the community, even in the church. And so we should not be surprised at this tension this, of just being human because really it goes all the way back to the creation and there's a double irony here, a double-edged irony. The first edge on one hand, we look back at Genesis and we were created to belong, created to be God's family, created to be in that inner circle, the most important inner ring of all time to be in perfect fellowship with God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. That's in our spiritual DNA, and we see that at creation. But on the other hand, the, the other edge of the irony is that we also see where our 
feeling miserably excluded at times ultimately comes from, and it comes from the fall. And it comes from even God punishing Adam and Eve for their rebellion. They're excluded. They're pushed out of Eden, that beautiful first inner circle. Since then, I think the real explanation of every human heart is that we we feel the reverberating echoes of, of pining, struggling to return to Eden. And we try to get back to there in our own ways. The ultimate inner circle of God's perfect triune fellowship and his love between himself and for us. So, we're hardwired to want to belong, and yet now it's, it's sabotaged. And our pursuit of trying to be in that desired inner ring, it often goes sideways. Today's passage, believe it or not, I'm starting this way because today's passage, the beginning of the story of John the Baptist, and really the beginning of the gospel according to Luke, on one hand, at the high level, it really is about belonging. That's how Luke starts his gospel. It's about belonging. It actually speaks to the whole notion of belonging. In the story of John the Baptist and his parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth, we see God continuing to write his story of calling people back to him, to belong to him. And what this looks like ultimately, we know, is God wanting to build his church inside and out. And so we see, just as a preview, in verse 16 and and 17, John the Baptist, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God, jumping down to verse 17, to make ready for the Lord a people. It's a story of belonging. God calling us back to himself. So here's the one thing that I hope will stick with you, the big thought, that for you to just really chew on this week and try to see how this plays out in your life. And it's this, belong. Belong how? By building the church inside and out. That, that's the pathway to recovering that deep sense of lost Eden belongingness. Meaning a healthy fruit of a spirit-filled, genuine Christian faith is intentional effort in doing my part to build up the church, to participate in this so precious divine community of faith and seeking to have many more come in. And so I hope as a response uh, to this passage and, and this message that perhaps a prayer like this might be stirred up, Lord, give me a persevering joy, a happiness, a gladness to, to build up your church inside and out. So for the rest of our time, I want to ask, how do I build the church inside and out? I hope this becomes very practical, uh, something for you to sink your teeth into and, and just really be able to live out. And I want to draw out at least just three thoughts. This, this passage, we won't be able to chew everything out of it, but just three kind of big thoughts that I think Luke wants us to gain out of all the, the depth that's there. First, admit. Admit that we're trying to build something. Admit that what we try to build apart from Christ is broken. Okay? Second, be comforted. I hope you leave comforted today. God wants to comfort you through this passage. Be comforted that God's goal of building his church has never changed. And third, pray. Pray for the Spirit's, what we call, regeneration. If that sounds like a different language to you, don't worry. We'll we'll get to it and, and we'll explain what we mean by that.
So first, how do I build the church inside and out? Admit that we're trying, what we're trying to build apart from Christ is broken. What we're trying to build apart from Christ is broken. Now, what do we mean by this? Now, let me just give you an analogy. Let me put it this way. Have you ever ever experienced the deep frustration uh, that something is just not working the way you know it's supposed to? Specifically, that it's lacking power. Uh, I remember a time when my engine light lit up on the dashboard, that dreaded yellowish-orange engine light. hope this is not familiar to you, but it's very familiar to me. My car engine started hesitating, rumbling at a red light. And then the anxiety of feeling little power when I pressed the gas pedal all the way down. The car's just inching forward. I'm giving so much gas, so much effort, but little power. That's very frustrating. I had to admit that something was wrong. Something's not working. Something's broken. I have to take this in. But then thoughts of denial kick in. If you're like me, like, ah, I don't have time for this. My schedule is too packed with other priorities. What's this going to cost? Will I be without a car for how many days? Maybe the problem will go away on its own, which it did for a few days, which only encouraged my denial. But then my kids started asking because they started noticing, Dad, is the car rumbling? And my pat answered, don't worry about it, (laughs) okay? But then one day I was driving my boy and his classmate to school. Got to get them there on time. And my son's friend asked, Mr. Chung, is the car rumbling? (laughs) And then I had to admit, okay, something's broken. I got to take this in. Bite the bullet. Now we see similarly something broken here in the lives of Zachariah and Elizabeth. Something that's supposed to have power, but it's failing to produce the life and joy and power that they're looking to it for. This couple Zachary and, 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 and Elizabeth that Luke introduces us to, they're a power couple just in and of themselves. They're a powerful, uh, a powerful Jewish pedigree. Zachariah, the priest, Elizabeth, distant, 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 distant cousins. I don't want to open up can of worms like can cousins get married or whatever, but both from the line of Aaron, the great priest from of old. They're a power couple. And yet, Sorry, and to build on that power coupleness, verse 6, they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. What a description. Imagine those words on your epitaph, on your tombstone. I would take those words any day. But it's important here to understand that these words don't mean that Zachary and Elizabeth were sinless. To be righteous and blameless doesn't mean they were sinless. No, what it means is even in their sin, what they did well was to follow God's law to atone for their sins faithfully. In this way, even though they sinned, they were restored to righteousness and blamelessness because they would seek out the acts of sacrifice, the many acts of sacrifice that would atone for them. Now, case in point, verse 7 draws out all the more the fact that the two were not sinless by any stretch. They were good at brushing their teeth, taking showers daily, spiritually speaking. But verse 7 shows, I'm just reading here, this is a hard truth, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And even as we read those words, I know there might be some in here that you're, you're triggered 
just your pain, your longing, your desire for, to, to bear a child and struggling with infertility. And so everything I'm about to say, I say with the utmost um, respect and compassion and, and just understanding the brokenness of life. Zachariah and Elizabeth's infertility pointed to something broken. Luke was intentionally making a point. All of Zechariah and Elizabeth's obedience to the law was powerless at the end of the day to reverse the curse. The curse at the fall. When God said that now with difficulty a woman will bear child. And that doesn't mean just the pain of childbirth, but it even means the difficulty to conceive and bear child. It's a healthy full term. It's also pointing to the curse, the curse in Moses' law in Deuteronomy 28 that was a consequence of breaking covenant with God. And so looking to Deuteronomy 28, picking up at verse 15, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, this was God's law for his people Israel, or be careful to do all the commandments and the statutes, and skipping down to verse 18, cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground. For Zachariah and Elizabeth, their barrenness, their frustrated longing to bear a child, and now in their old age, and just frankly, medically speaking, Elizabeth, beyond the years of childbearing, gone through menopause, and being barren in that way, in their old age, it was a constant, long-suffering, daily reminder that humanity, for starters, going back to Adam and Eve, and then Israel specifically, had broken covenant with God long ago and in this way experiencing spiritual exile. Obedience to the law of Moses and their great effort to remain righteous and blameless was powerless to reverse the curse. Despite pressing down hard on the gas pedal, so to speak, there was no power. They had to admit that what they were trying to build a life of devotion to their God, a faithful cultural person as a Jew, and hoping in the Messiah, what they were trying to build in and of themselves, it was broken. God's initial call to go all the way back to Adam and then to Israel, if we look at it one way, God's purpose for life is simple. He wanted to build a big, beautiful, loving family where we have perfect belonging with him and with one another. And his mode from creation through Israel was really mostly physical, to physically multiply and to work hard to be able to provide for those that belong to their family and so forth. They go very much close together, work and belonging. To go back to C.S. Lewis's thought, we work so hard to try to get into that inner circle to belong. Our work and our belonging, if you think about it, they're really closely tied together. And all of us, if we're honest, we need to also identify and, and admit brokenness in our lives. That there are things in our lives we're trying to build apart from Christ, and if we're honest, they're broken. Our families, our relationships, our work, our efforts, our health, our nation, 
Even vacations, right? Vacations. What's meant to be a reprieve from toilsome work. It's what you look forward to, and it gives you energy to get through this next, until the next deadline, because so, you're looking forward to just resting. You work so hard to earn and pay for rest, but then come the delayed flights, upset stomachs on road trips, computer glitches with hotel bookings, conversations that go sour out of left field, or fallout with the friends you're vacationing with. All these things dampen our rest. And with all this effort and work to build a life, eventually at some point we get sick, our health deteriorates, we get old, and the final call of death is inescapable. So much effort, but ultimately little power. And oftentimes this coming part and parcel with feeling on the outside because of this. So what's the fix? What's the fix? The fix to our brokenness, the fix to this ultimate futility of what we're trying to build, what we're trying to build, especially if it's apart from Christ. The fix is to find something that actually lasts forever, that doesn't break down, that stands forever. And we see it in today's passage. And this is why we ask again, how do I build the church inside and out? And I want you to be comforted be comforted that God's goal of gathering a people has never changed. And here we're talking about motivation now. I want you to find a motivation to be renewed. Maybe you already knew this, but to be renewed again and to cling to it again as you go back to your work lives tomorrow and through this week, to be motivated once again to build God's church. We're meant What's meant to motivate us, what's meant to comfort us and give us strength is to build God's church. Meaning, what God is building is our fix. What God is building is our sure hope. What God is building is a wise endeavor to invest our lives into. And this comes especially, this becomes especially comforting when we're willing to admit our brokenness. If, if you can fully accept our first, the first point, then it becomes a comfort. Please listen carefully to this. You will have a hard time admitting your brokenness, speaking now to Christians first, if your Christianity is more just purely about morals or say the cousin of morals, meaning political affiliations in this life, right, center, or left. I'm speaking to everyone. If your life is more about that outward external, what life looks like morally, and oftentimes what is part and parcel of that is you find yourself proud, looking down on another, often judgmental, self-righteous. If that's you, you'll have a hard time actually seeing your need for God's grace and his gospel, for God to be the builder of your life, to want to build what God is building and look to that as the fix. But if we're humbly willing to admit that what we're building is broken and that we need and want to be a part of what God is building, has always been building, then there's a wonderful, powerful comfort there that's available to us. And so let's return to verse 16. Speaking of John the Baptist and his ministry to set up Jesus, and John the Baptist will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. 
Now, what's important to understand here, and where I want you to see that God has always been in the business of, of bringing people back to him to belong and building his church, is that Luke is actually referencing a prophet of old, the last prophet to speak before he, John the Baptist, came on the scene around 300 years later. He's referencing Malachi, and he's foreseeing John the Baptist and John's role in continuing to build God's church. Now, backing up a few verses, the, the pivot today, and hopefully you caught it from the passage that was read, the angel Gabriel visits Zechariah, and Gabriel announces to Zechariah that God is going to create a new life in Elizabeth's barren womb. What seems scientifically, physically impossible that God is going to do. And so the angel says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. She'll call his name John. And because of this, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. Now, in some ways, this is no different from what God intended going all the way back to Genesis 1. And we're to see almost even a, a renewal of God at creation. Meaning in Genesis 1, God created man. He created life. And he blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. What I want you to hear is God's fatherly heart to create a family. To lovingly create a people for himself and for his people to multiply, to build and grow. From Genesis to Moses to John the Baptist, God's call and purpose hasn't changed. To welcome members into his family and to see that family grow and build up in his love. The comfort lies in the wonderful truth that God wants us, that he invites us to be his beloved. Let that sink in. That's the comfort. And his purpose in that will never change. It's something that's supposed to be carried in our hearts and strengthen us each and every day, each and every moment. Malachi wasn't the only prophet that God inspired to foresee John the Baptist. The, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit also inspired Isaiah to prophesy about John the Baptist. And in fact, Luke later in chapter 3, we'll get there in a few weeks, he quotes Isaiah 40. And looking at Isaiah 40 in, in the whole context, Isaiah says, comfort, comfort my people. There it is. Comfort. God wants you to be comforted. And why? Because God is going to send a messenger to prepare the way for Jesus. Meaning God is reminding us, my plan hasn't changed. My purpose is to build my family, to restore belonging. And even Isaiah, he reminds us, the Spirit inspires him, the grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. Meaning, even through Isaiah, we're reminded that anything we're trying to build apart from Christ, we have to admit that it's broken. And so he wants us to be comforted by the fact, again, that God is inviting you and me to be his people. Do you love sunrises? Have you ever had the experience as you're staying up for a sunrise to see that first beam of light break through? 
over the horizons or sometimes equally beautiful and just poetic, that single ray breaking through the clouds. God wants us to see that ray of hope in Jesus. And, and John is important because he's setting up Jesus. Jesus is the real light, that sunrise in, in history. And God wants us to know that Jesus is going to speak to our frustrations with our work and a sense of belonging. Jesus is going to radically transform the nature of work and our belonging. And one important way that he transforms it is from just merely being physical. To Adam and Eve, it was, more, it was really a physical. Of course, there was a spiritual relationship with God, but it was physical. Make babies and multiply and go fill the earth. With Israel, it was physical. Even though it was a spiritual relationship with God, it was expanded physically. But now, Jesus radically turns that upside down and it becomes spiritual. The way we grow God's family is for a heart, not through physical bearing of children, but spiritually seeing new hearts being born to faith and eyesight to Christ. And so all of this, it allows us to draw even more comfort and confidence from Jesus' words that line up with God's unchanging plan. I love it that Jesus says, Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Going all the way to the end, this is Jesus speaking from the throne seated. Behold, I am making. Jesus is building, creating all things new. So here's the point. This is where I want the rubber to meet the road and for you to have confidence you can't ultimately go wrong building what god is building you can't go wrong building what jesus is building you can't go wrong building what the holy spirit is building namely you can't go wrong giving your energy to building Christ's church according to christ's way that's an important caveat According to Christ's way. Christ's way in the simplest terms is by announcing his gospel of grace and inviting people to, to accept Christ's invitation. And in Luke's gospel, what you're going to see as we get into it deeper and deeper, there's a big theme. Luke, Luke brings up the theme of belonging a lot. The lost coin that is searched for all over and over and found. The one lost sheep that is rescued by its loving shepherd and brought back into the warmth and security of the fold. The lost wayward son who comes to his senses and realizes he truly belongs in his father's home and so returns. Jesus eating, socializing, and loving the outcasts, winning their rejected hearts over with his divine, gracious, compassionate belonging. You can make a strong argument that the majority of our world's problems, from everyday little just arguments to global-scale wars, all the, the majority of our world's problems, of history's problems, find their root in someone feeling rejected by another, 
and therefore retaliating in order to be aggressively, to, to aggressively establish and, and mark out their own sense of belonging. From, if you're like me, I'm guilty of it, when you're stuck in traffic and you edge up your front bumper as close as possible to the next car so that other car can't come into your lane in front of you. To global wars and leaders. How many wars have been started at their root because of a people asserting their own identity, their own sense of belonging, whether on the 401 or somewhere in the global scene? So imagine, imagine what could happen if everyone found peace in their hearts because they know they belong to God, are loved by God through Christ, and they have nothing else to prove. Imagine even in your own home, spouses, when you're having an argument and someone slips up and and says something to hurt your feelings, but you could just in that moment just be secure in your belonging as a child, son or daughter of Christ, and then you don't have to react and make the matter worse because you're secure in your belonging in Christ. And imagine extending and inviting others to find that sense of belonging in Christ's perfect love. Again, this is meant to be a comfort. Be comforted because that's exactly what God has been up to since Adam and Eve rebelled. And and God's loudest welcome back message is through Jesus and his church. And he's setting that up through John the Baptist, even the story of his parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth. So finally, how do I build the church inside and out? Pray. Pray for the Spirit's regeneration. Pray that the Spirit would be working. Today's story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, John's parents and the barrenness and the Spirit making life, this is a beautiful preview. Just like a good preview of a movie makes you actually go and watch the whole thing when it comes out. This is a preview of God, of how he's going to save us. How he's going to restore our beloved belonging to God our Father. The reason why Luke and the other Gospels take time to include John the Baptist in the story of Jesus, and Luke even goes, does an even deeper dive into all the details and just the preamble to it all, is to show that Jesus has come to fix the first and broken covenant that was with Israel and with Adam and Eve going back further. Meaning, what was powerless, what was ultimately powerless to reverse the curse. It was powerless to restore perfect fruitfulness in our work and our perfect sense of belonging. But put differently, where God called man to be his children through Adam, but that failed, where God called Israel to be his beloved through the law and the prophets, but that failed, now God is calling us to be born again in our hearts by faith, by the Spirit, regenerating, making new life in our hearts in a brand new way through Jesus. This is the new covenant. Even the name John, John the Baptist, it's special. It means grace. John means grace. And so you can think of John the Baptist as Grace the Baptist. And while John is simultaneously an embodiment of all the law and prophets and God's grace, he's also a living object lesson of the Spirit 
the Holy Spirit writing God's law in our hearts and giving new life to our hearts to want to obey God from the heart. And that's why Luke writes, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So let's make this really practical. As we seek to um, belong and build the church. I want to end very practically, just with some action steps. First, join a new community group. Because as you're part of a midweek um, fellowship and circle of, of relationships that are seeking to encourage one another, in that sense of belonging, you're building up the church, first inside the church. But also, this is something new and we're excited about, and this almost becomes kind of a, a bridge to building the church outside as well. We're starting up a new faith and work prayer gathering about four times through this year. The first one's coming up next Wednesday, September 20th. We want to gather together, and for this first gathering, we're going to do our best to get into circles of, uh, like affinity circles of, of as similar industries as possible, whether you're a homemaker, whether you're a tradesman, whether you're working corporate or you're in sales, whatever. We're going to do our best and to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to share our struggles and, and, and how we ex- mutually experience the toil of work and how the gospel is meant to, to shape our work, but also to, to interact with those who don't believe at work, to see our work through God's eyes. But also, sorry, I missed the first one, ask the Father for His Spirit to be at work. And in all this, continuing to deepen relationship with those outside the church and looking for opportunities to share how Christ makes you glad. And so I hope you're feeling motivated this one thing, belong and build the church inside and out. Let's pray. Lord, I know many of us at times we feel like we're pushing down on the gas pedal of life, so to speak. Really hard, but we're not seeing the power. Thank you for reminding us that how power comes from your Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And thank you that all our stories, all our work, our family lives, our relationships, everything can find the, the, the truest, deepest redemption and meaning as it fits into your greatest, lasting, eternal story. Your gospel, your grace through Jesus. So give us a persevering joy to keep building what you're building. And that all the other parts of our life could, you'd show us how it all fits to this greater narrative of building your church inside and out. We look to you for this. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.